getting you ready for a college football Saturday. This is BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. Welcome, welcome, welcome to BetQLU. As the introduction suggests, my name is Jeffrey Wright. I am the co-host of the Giannotto and Jeffrey Show weekdays here in Memphis, Tennessee from 2 until 4. You can stream it live anywhere on the Odyssey app. My co-host, of course, is RJ Choppy, the co-host of Shannon RJ. Weekday mornings, 5.30 till 10 a.m. on 105.3 The Fan there in DFW. RJ, how you doing, my man? Man, it is, uh, it's bitter cold here in DFW, which uh, signifies, you know, especially with the Cowboys season that ended this week, it's, it's only going to be a long winter. It's going to be a long winter. Yeah, winter is here. It's the same thing. I feel like Dallas and Memphis, like, have the same weather. It's just, like, a day apart. So, yeah. I, I, I'm with you. And I'm, I, I know you're originally from the Northeast. I am a Southerner born and bred. I ain't built for this, man. Like, there's a reason I went to college in California. Like, I looked up places where, like, the average temperature never dips below 70. So, uh, I am not cut out for this, and it, it's it's just miserable. This is, like, this is the type of weather where you question why you ever got a dog. Yeah. Oh, that's why I don't have one. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't have a dog. Because I have a house, and I, I could just open the back door. But that yeah. means I have to go outside and clean it up, but I, I just don't want to do that. I'll tell you this. I hate southern winters worse than the northern ones. I expect a northern winter. I'm prepared for the northern winter. The southern winter, it's cold. You get no snow out of it. At least I get some snow out of it up north. And the wind here in Texas, it cuts through me, man, to my bones. To yeah. my bones. I, I, I just not prepared for it. My blood's thin. Maybe I'm getting old. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. There's like a mindset element, and, and I'm not cut out for this. All right, now, as you mentioned, it is winter, so... The weird thing right now for me, trying to process everything that's going on in college football, dude, we don't have a calendar anymore. Like, everything is just, it is now officially, it's very similar to the NFL now where it's like, it is just a 365-day sport. And it's this weird reality now with the transfer portal, with there not being a window. Uh, What is striking you right now? Because... I think my biggest takeaway from college football is I used to like the rhythm of it. You know, we had, you had essentially talking about football season, which was all the way up to preseason camp. Then you have the season, which has a rhythm to it. It used to be after the season ended, then you'd lock into recruiting. You had the recruiting calendar. Then you kind of had afterwards. All right, let's see. Let's get the depth charts together. Let's figure out when Phil Stills coming out with the magazine. But now (laughs) it's just, Everything is just all together. I mean, honestly, think about this, man. If the reports are true, and I kind of tend to believe them, we could have a Michigan coaching search here in the next, you know, week or so. Like, yeah. The talent is just completely upside down for me. It, it's crazy. Um, I'm accustomed to – so, you know, I, I've been doing the, the my regular radio show, you know, for about 11 years now. And when we started the show, you know, I'll never forget – there was often the time when National Signing Day was on the Wednesday of Radio Row week at the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, you know, you just you go to Radio Row, you do your show, and, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't dissect the game Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. You know, we BS and we talk about, you know, what, what, we, what we have for dinner the night before, how drunk we got, whatever. But on Wednesday, yeah. 
I was all about National Signing Day. There was a time, you might remember, when my university actually mattered. And I was in, intrigued by National Signing Day. Uh, it was pre-internet, but whatever. Um, you know, but now it's like National Signing Day, all that juice is gone in the middle of an NFL season. Oh, and there's no question. No, I, I'm with you because it had a nice rhythm to it. It was, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how you feel like, we both have watched enough college football to understand recruiting and the roster is what matters more than anything. So if you don't have the players, we're not even talking about you as an actual yeah. contender because like and this, this yeah. yes. And, and you, now you get those years where you got eight home games and then yeah. four road games, you know? So if you get all that to work out together at the same year where you've got your quarterback and your team is all juniors and seniors, you got a real chance. Yeah. And now it's like, recruiting i mean obviously with the early signing period i mean nick saban told us exactly what was going to happen that's going to become signing day and it's this weird reality of okay that is the signing day but i you know what i mean like in the middle of you know early part of december i'm worried about betting like well i'm looking into lines like i'm not i'm not focused on who signed where and maybe it's the monotony of okay yet again alabama georgia one two Oh, look, Ohio State got got some guys, and now I guess A and M has entered the conversation or entered the chat, if you will. But how are you kind of processing everything that's going on? Because I feel like I've hit this point where it's not that I care any less about the sport, but I just feel overwhelmed with all the information, and so I just don't feel as locked in as I did once. You know, I I actually love it. Um, you know, I I love. The more, the more 24-7, 365 that you can give me as, as a sport, the better. Uh, the NFL, when is the NFL's real offseason? Like, they don't have one, right? It's constant. constant. Yeah, because you know, oh, even right after the Super Bowl, then it's, all right, we got the combine, uh, you know. Senior Bowl. Senior season. Bowl, combine, then, you know, then free agency, then, you know, OTAs. In training camp. No, I mean, you're, you're all right. You've got five weeks between the end of mini camp and the start of training camp where there's nothing going on in the NFL. Five weeks. A five-week dead period. And usually it, it's worked out that somebody is, you know, leaking to the media. He wants to trade, you know, or Rodgers. Is he going to come back? Like, there's always some type of drama to kind of fill that void. NBA, you know, the NBA offseason is better than the regular season. Oh, no question. You know, it's, it, honestly, just it honestly might be better than the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, dude, I went to a restaurant last night. The Mavericks were playing the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are like 34-9. and nine. The Mavs are a top-five seed in the Western Conference. Good team. They've won 9 out of 10. <laughs> there were 10 TVs in the restaurant. Not a single one was on the Mavericks game. Not a single one. You know, the NBA's offseason is better than the regular season. And college football, you know, baseball's offseason is non-existent. Uh, college football, I think, is trying to go the way of the NFL. I just think if they were to move some of these things to after the final game, like signing day, bring it back, um, you know, maybe make – it would also make the coaches get fired later in the season and have coaching searches later – it would spread the calendar out. I think that would help things out. Well, I think to your point, and 
whether or not there is a grand design in the NFL, there's more structure to the calendar. And, and you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it was designed to be that way to make sure that they get talked about. I think, honestly, it was probably designed for, you know, for the sake of compartmentalizing where, okay, we've got, we don't want to have to worry about free agency and whatnot during the middle of the season. Obviously, we're looking at roster stuff, but it's not the, the primary focus. You know, draft season is draft season. Free agency is free agency. Preseason's preseason. The season is the season. I think the problem in college football that we see right now is there isn't anyone to sit on high and say, okay, we've got we've to come up with a better structure and kind of make pockets, if you will. It's, every, it's a free-for-all. It's everyone trying to, you know, yeah. look out for himself. And so you wind up with just kind of chaos. But I guess in the end, like, that is kind of – I think that's kind of what makes college football college football is the absurdity of it when you actually think about it. And, you know, case in point, Stetson Bennett announces that he's returning to Georgia. And yeah. the, the defending national champion is getting their quarterback back. And my first thought was – is he even going to, like, are they going to bench him again? Like, you know what I mean? Like, JT Daniels goes into the transfer portal, so I don't think it's JT, but they've recruited yet again another, you know, another big-time quarterback. Is Vandegrift going to be the guy? I, I don't know. Like, I'm sitting there wondering, like, it's so fascinating to me that a guy announces he's coming back, and my first thought was, God, I hope they play somebody else because I don't want to have to watch Georgia again with him. Uh, listen, I mean, if I'm Georgia, I'm looking at it like this is my defense going to be as good next year as it was this year? And the answer is probably no. Pretty confident it's going to be no. Second, can I beat Alabama, who is going to be healthy, and with a sophomore, Bryce Young, who's going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate, can I beat them with Stetson Bennett playing the way he did for most of the – I mean, if Bryce Young was healthy – I'm sorry, if Bryce Young had uh, Mechie James and, 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 and Jameson – like. Bam probably wins that game. And if he had his offensive line. Like, you know, it was a close game until the very, very end when a couple of miscues happened. Like, I, I just wonder if I'm Kirby, I'm like, okay, he's coming back, but I need that next level. There's a, you know, I need that, I need you to go to that next level to be able to win. And it's kind of like what Saban had to do with Tua, you know, with Hurts. Like, I, I'm coming to a point here. I can't win this football game with Jalen Hurts. I've got to put in the riskier, unknown, but with the higher upside. And for me, that's kind of the bigger picture question with Georgia. Was, did Georgia kind of turn back the clock? Have they found a new age in football that you can win with defense? And, you know, everyone calls him a game manager, but Stetson Bennett's not a game manager game manager he's too like he is a risky football player but just a dude if you will a bus driver at quarterback can you did they turn back the clock or was this year an outlier in which none of the teams that have kind of the you know if you will the fighter pilot at quarterback they weren't able to kind of get in there or as you mentioned with Alabama Alabama's so banged up at other skill position players having the fighter pilot versus the bus driver didn't really matter as much particularly after Williams gets hurt in the second quarter but I think the bigger question I have is is Kirby Smart going to double down and say see I can do it this way 
with a you know with a bus driver at quarterback, or was it a product of the circumstances? Daniels never really gets healthy, never really got in rhythm, and so he just had to go with the guy that was winning. Or is this you know, and he and he's going to make the adjustment. I think with Georgia, that's kind of the more interesting. Was this a situation where Kirby's now going to double down? I, I don't have to have you know the biggest baddest dude at quarterback. Or did he realize, like, this was what I had to do to win this year? It's a good question, and I think the answer is, I think most coaches, I don't say most coaches, but a lot do feel like you you do deserve a chance. Okay, so I'll look at, like, this, you know, with example of, of some teams. You know, you get a team that wins the, uh, the, the NBA championship or the Super Bowl, and they got a lot of free agents. Yeah. And then the team lets those free agents go. And as a fan, you're like, wait a second. We deserve the chance to run it back. Like, like, hang on. I, I know that you want to move on and you want to prepare for the next five years. But we, we did this with the Mavericks. When the Mavericks yeah. won the title in 2011, they kind of broke up the team. And it's like, wait a second. You know, why doesn't, you know, Dirk Nowitzki's here. Let him run it back, man. Like, you know, this guy waited for a decade and a half to win a title. Let him run it back. And I would say the same thing. If I'm Stetson Bennett, I'm going to Kirby's office, and I'm like, look, I know that I'm not as talented as Brock, but let me run this back. Let me give me a chance to run it back. If, if by week six you want to make a change, go ahead. But let me run this back here. Like, I, I, I've, I've earned that right. And he has earned that right. It is kind of this weird reality of one of the things that I feel like is a legitimate complaint from fans particularly in college sports with the way that there's so much turnover now. And, and I'm not saying like, Oh my God, that it's wrong. That kids, it, it has nothing to do with it, but it's the fact that you, a team now feels year to year more than ever. And it's not, okay, this guy's going to be here for three, four years and, and getting used to it. It is kind of funny to me. Like one, you know, I'm sitting there going, the guy that wins the national titles coming back. And I'm just like, yuck i don't want to watch him play anymore like i think that's probably not the best like way to be it but like that is exactly how i feel no of course i mean you know there, there's i don't want to see that same georgia team come again i mean it was boring you know, it was, first of all it was boring because they were so good and they beat the crap out of everybody but you know we have moved beyond that type of football this is a passing world now we have moved to let's throw it all over the field um, it doesn't have, we don't have to go full on Steve Spurrier, but we moved on beyond what we are now with Georgia. And, and we, we're going to have to, I mean, the only difference between that and like Iowa is better athletes. Like that's pretty bad. Yes. No, I, I completely agree. And that's in the end, I'm not just a fan of quarterback play. Like I love it. it it's, it's the position that I played growing up. Like I love quarterback play. And I think that's exactly, you hit the nail on the head. It has nothing to do with anything personally. Like, I think Stetson Bennett's story is amazing. And, and I think that anyone with a heart can root for him. But it's just like, I just do not enjoy watching him play football. All right, when we come back next segment, here in Memphis, Tennessee, Penny Hardaway had quite the outburst for my hope, uh, from a question asked by my morning show host. We're going to get into that and more in college hoops. Stick around. You are listening to and watching BetQLU. From tailgates to rushing the field, on Saturday, it's BetQLU in the action. From noon to 8 Eastern, available on BetQL and the Odyssey app. 
You're listening to BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. I think the one thing I can say to this media, because this media gets kind of up sometimes when it comes to me, we don't have our full roster. Y'all know we don't have our full roster. Stop asking me stupid questions about if I feel like I can do something. If I had my roster like they did, then I feel like I can do whatever I want to do. I'm coaching really hard. My boys are playing really hard. I'm not embarrassed about nothing. We have four freshmen starting. Y'all need to act like it. Act like we got 17, 18, and 19-year-olds out here trying to learn how to play against 22, 23, and 24-year-old guys. Come on, man. Stop disrespecting me, bro. Like, don't do that. I work too hard. I work way too hard for that. Y'all write all these articles about me, and all I do is work. We got young kids on the floor. They got young kids on the floor. That was Penny Hardaway following Memphis's 14-point loss to SMU on Thursday night. RJ, I am obviously in the thick of it here in Memphis. I'm curious, when you hear that reaction, because, you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't really know how the rest of the world sees it. I want your impression. What did, you know, where do you go? I assume that y'all played it on your show today. Like, what, what has been the reaction that you've been seeing? You know, we've been uh, we've been so uh, cowboy NFL focused. We haven't gotten into anything really this week, other than that. Um, I'll tell you, you know, th- this is an interesting situation because Memphis is not a college town. You know, if you get checked by, uh, you know, if if you get a, fo- a football coach or basketball coach checked by the local media in Tuscaloosa or Baton Rouge. Or College Station or Lubbock or Lawrence, Kansas. You know, it's different in Memphis, right? Like, you guys are – that's a real media town. You know, it's it's not a student newspaper. Yeah. Well, it's it's so – God, I could do like a – I could do, you know, like a 10-part series on Memphis sports and the media relationships. It's, it is unique unlike any place. And, like, I am a beneficiary of it, no question – I mean, it is a city where you can do a 17 rating in sports talk radio, which is just, you know, unthinkable. And and it's just this weird reality. The Grizzlies are typically covered, in my experience, like a college team would be covered in that it's a little more friendly. You're a little more uh, you're not as kind of questioning of them. And I don't know if it goes back to the reality that, the Grizzlies chose to come to Memphis and it kind of made Memphis a, an actual pro sports town for the first time. And then the Tigers, in particular, Tiger basketball, it's covered way more passionately. Like it would be covered, honestly, like an NFL team in that it's more scrutinized. But there's one cl- clear exception in my lifetime, and that's Penny Hardaway. Penny Hardaway is not covered that way. I mean, really? at all. Penny Hardaway, and there are some media members that were probably pretty influential in getting Penny Hardaway hired for this job, and it's it's just not the case. I mean, Penny Hardaway has gotten to skate by, in my opinion, on a lot of things that deserve to be questioned, and it just didn't. And the first thing that struck me in this outburst was, holy hell, like if he thinks that this media is tough on him, it is of all the teams that I've covered in my lifetime, it's by far the softest that anyone gets covered. It's really? clear to me. 
he gets covered with kid gloves. Now, national media is a little more critical of him, but I would also point out he says things that, that invite criticism. I mean, you say we want all the smoke, which he has said, and they had printed them on T-shirts, man. Like, okay, like, walk the walk, dude, if that's, if that's how you feel, and that's fine. But it's this bizarre reality to me of what struck me was this year was clearly not supposed to go this way. Memphis was preseason, I think, number 12 in the AP poll. And I think according to most futures, somewhere around like the 7th to 10th best odds to win the national title. And they're sitting here at 9-8. and eight. They've lost 8 of their last 12. They had the number one recruiting class coming in yet again. And it's just not gone this way. They had a terrible vaccination status. And so they end up losing games for contact tracing. Not COVID outbreaks and whatnot. Contact tracing. That's why they, they ended up missing games. They have lost, as I mentioned, eight of the last 12. They lost to East Carolina and Tulane in the same season. No coach has done that and survived. And it's this just weird reality. And to me, what struck me was that was somebody who's, like, if you're in the five stages of grief, he's in the anger stage, man. And what's weird is that the fan base seems to have been in the anger stage, like, a month ago. And now Ah. they're just the acceptance. And it's just like, you know, what next? That seems to be a lot. Of the, the general consensus from the fan base is what the F is going to happen next. You know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the national media coverage different than the local media. And, you know, I wonder if the spotlight is on Memphis because, you know, like, you know, Penny's a name. He's a name. Uh, you know, he is a, a former NBA player. He's got a nickname. He had the commercials. Chris Rock, I mean, like, he is a name, and, and they are going to cover him quite, you know, not not harshly, but they're going to cover him a lot. He's going to be on ESPN a lot. And then, you know, you have the problems with the coaching staff and, and Rashid. It's just like, it's a, um, it's a wild situation. It really is. And I can't figure out for the life of me how that team is 9-8, and eight, though. Like, talent-wise, you know, all you got to do, any fu- like you said, the Futures, any Futures magazine or publication you read, that team was stacked. They were a loaded bunch. And is, is, he not, is he not a good coach? Is he not coaching well? Why are they giving him a pass locally? There's a lot of ins and outs with this. Yeah, so they're – boy, there's a lot of meat on that boat. Is he over so- his head? Is he over his head as a coach? I think the answer is yes on basically everything you just asked. So I'll, I'll try to take it one by one to, to kind of offer some context. Let's start first with the roster. In the American, the conference they play in, it's very much what I would consider a retread league. I'm talking from coaches to roster, everything. Now, Kelvin is doing it. You know, he's, he's got his first five-star out of high school. But, I mean, if you look at the way people construct rosters – it's an older league. It's usually guys that transferred from somewhere else, and they, they're kind of at that dog stage where it's like, man, this is kind of like my last chance. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove it. And so it's an older league, and it's oftentimes coaches that had another job and a bigger job, and they didn't succeed. But they're not bad coaches, but they're just not elite-level coaches. But they're all 
very experienced coaches for the most part. And I'm painting with a broad brush here. So the way Memphis has built its roster, they brought in Amani Bates and Jalen Dern. The biggest problem has been and still continues to be they do not have a point guard. And the point guard that he probably should have on his roster is the point guard in Knoxville. It's Kennedy Chandler, Kennedy from Memphis. But Penny Hardaway early in the recruiting process, I don't know if it was because of Kennedy's size. I don't know if it was a relationship problem. He just didn't get on him early enough. And at that point, then Kennedy ends up leaving the city for his final year of high school. And, you know, if you're going to get the Memphis kid, you have to, like, you got to have him in Memphis and let public pressure kind of guide him to Memphis. So he doesn't have a point guard. Well, then he brings in Duran and Bates. And Duran, for the most part, has not been their problem. I mean, Jalen Duran's maybe not having the biggest year that some might have hoped, but he's, he's certainly, on their list of problems, he doesn't even make the list for me. But the issue with Imani Bates is a lot of promises were made to Imani Bates to get him here. And one of the first promises was Penny thought he had solved his point guard issue with Imani Bates. Imani's a 6'7", skilled basketball player. He's not a tremendous athlete, but he's a highly skilled player. So Penny sees, I think, in the recruiting process, Penny Hardaway saw a lot of himself. Bigger guard, going to make him into a point guard, sees the floor well, and that's, that's what he's going to do. Well, the problem is, just because you can handle the ball and just because you see the floor well, that doesn't make you a point guard. And Amani Bates is not a point guard, and it was very obvious from the beginning. So then, Amani being 17, he's getting into an older league, and physically he can't, he can't play at the level that he was used to. Well, it also created dissension on the roster because some of the older guys that he brought back, Amani's essentially getting their role. And every team I've ever been a part of, sometimes parents get upset when, you know, Johnny's not playing. Every kid on the team knows who should and shouldn't be playing. I, I, that has just been my general rule of any sports team that I've ever been on. And clearly frustration mounted because he's getting protected, he being Bates, he's getting protected, and he was not good. I mean, that's just, you know, to put it quite like mildly. So that's kind of the, the bigger problem at the start of the season. Well, now he's getting into this part where injuries are mounting up. But I got to be honest with you, RJ, a lot of these injuries, it's more like there's some guys hurt. And yeah. it doesn't seem that there's a ton of buy-in. And it's just a mess from the locker room to the coaching staff. And then further, I think kind of the bigger issue is Oftentimes, if you say someone's not a good coach, the assumption that people make is he doesn't know the game. And I've always hated this. Just saying someone's not a good coach does not mean it has anything to do with knowledge of the game. I don't know how you felt, but I'm pretty sure Ted Williams knew baseball. Ted Williams yeah. was not a good manager. I, I, I don't have any doubt that Ted Williams knew baseball. But in the end... It's how you communicate to kids and get them on the floor to perform. 
Like that's yeah. that's the job. And so I don't know. Penny Hardaway likes to say, you know, we're working hard. We show them the film. We're telling them they know what to do, but they don't do it. And to me, by his own words, he's not been a good coach this year because he cannot yeah. get them to do what they're supposed to do. I'll give you an example. You know, Gary Patterson at TCU has been there yep. for a long time, uh, and he was re- fired this year. Um, Gary was not a player's coach. Gary's style worked until about 18 months ago where player empowerment became, you know, massive. And these players weren't going to put up with an authoritative type figure, an authoritarian type coach. And Gary, it doesn't matter how good he knew the game or how well he knew the game. I should learn how to speak English before I say this, but how well he knew the game didn't matter. He couldn't communicate with the players that he had on his roster. That is to me outside of football. Let's just go to basketball, go to baseball. Football is different. You game plan week to week in the NBA and in college basketball, you know, you may do a little scouting report, but you're not game play. You know, Texas is you not know, game plan you know, for Texas. You know, ten, you know tendencies, but you're right. Yeah. You are not. You're not spending your whole practice session before that game. This is what they do, and here's how we're gonna like. It's you know their tendencies usually. You do that in the NBA playoffs, and you do it in the NCAA tournament. Day to day, week to week, what you're doing as a coach is you are just putting fires out on your team. That dude's girlfriend has an eye on that on the forward, and you've got to put that fire out. Or that, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Yes. Whatever it is, you've got to put the fire out. And if you can't put the fire out, then you can't coach at that level. You can't coach in the NBA, you can't coach in Major League Baseball manage, and you can't coach in the NCAA in basketball or any other sport. Football, you can do it. It's about X's and O's, but you got to be able to manage people too. In basketball and baseball, you just have to manage people until you get to March. Yeah, and another big problem that they have is, in general, they go flashy rather than substance. I don't care if it's recruiting. They want the five-star better than – so they wound up with a lot of the same pieces, and then it created dissension because certain guys were getting – certain roles and and that was a you know that created more and more problems for themselves but yet again you look at everyone on the staff rj they don't have anyone that's like from the college basketball world of someone that can step in and go penny like i'm not telling you how to do this but like there's a it's different this isn't just roll the ball out let's get everybody to play it's just a completely different world and they don't have anyone that can structure it to be more of a college program you know who just rolls it out lets it play like bruce pearl but bruce pearl manages the locker room right he manages it well coach k i mean hey if you guys slap the floor for me on defense i'll let you choose as many threes as you want you know it's like it's a give and take you gotta bargain with these cats and the best coaches know what buttons to push and which one's not we come back, we'll get into some of the biggest games of the weekend and more. He's RJ. I'm Jeffrey. You are watching and listening to BetQLU. From tailgates to rushing the field, on Saturday, it's BetQLU in the action. From noon to 8 Eastern, available on BetQL and the Odyssey app. 
You're listening to BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. Hey, welcome back to BetQLU. I'm Jeffrey Wright. He's RJ Choppy. RJ, last segment, you made a great point about Bruce Pearl and how he handles the locker room. Well, right now, he's got his team playing great basketball, sitting here at 17-1. and one, But it felt like the biggest story of the week, at least with Auburn basketball, not who they were playing, not who they were beating, where indeed they were ranked. Because despite having the best winning streak and having probably at this point a better resume than Gonzaga, Auburn showed up at number two in the polls when a lot of people thought they would open this week ranked number one. According to... To AP voter Jesse Newell, he claims he has a system for ranking teams. RJ, he had Auburn ranked number nine. Had Auburn just been in his top four, Auburn would be the number one team in the country. Here's my question for you. Do you still care about the AP poll? Um, if my team's ranked number one, I do. That's a fair point. If they're not, I don't. Like, you know, people ask me, you know, I'm a Tennessee fan, and they're like, oh, yeah, they, they lost this week. And I'm like, yeah, I know they did, but they're going to make the tournament. You know, I don't really think they're at risk of missing the tournament. They're not playing well. So all I care about is give me give me two weekends. Just give me two weekends of entertainment. Um, I've never looked at the rankings, unless my team's number one. If my team's number one, or as a shot to be, then I care. Then I'm like, you know what? That's cool. Because I don't root for Duke. I don't root for Kentucky or North Carolina. My team's number one, you know, twice in a generation. Maybe. Yeah. So I don't like, I, I'm like, yeah, I care. And, and Auburn, I think, is in the same boat. You know, Auburn, I know they made the national title game, but or the final four. It's like, you know, if you're Auburn, that's cool. Like, that's a football school. You know, you get to be right number one in basketball. That's special to me. So, yeah, if I was Auburn, if I was an Auburn fan, you know, Gonzaga's been right number one a million times. Uh, I'm Auburn. I'm not number one. I'm never number one. You know, so if I was a fan of Auburn, I'd be like, I'd be upset. For me, from the outside, yeah, I, it doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't really look at it. Yeah, I have this weird relationship with rankings in that, Intuitively, I know they don't matter because in the end, what's going to matter is how do they get seated in the tournament? That's that is in the end what matters. It's the same thing like, you know, the AP poll in college football. It doesn't matter until the college football playoff rankings come out. And to be honest with you, they don't matter until the very last week. Like all that matters is is the last one. But I do also acknowledge it's an achievement. And, And I think that is kind of why Auburn fans were so upset this week is that do they think they're the number one team in the country that they're winning a national title? You know, I, I think they maybe they daydream and like think maybe because it also does seem like that it's kind of wide open this year. There's not a great team. There's a bunch of good teams and, and maybe they can daydream. But I think more than anything, it was it's a program achievement and, and it's something that to take pride in. With that also, like I do acknowledge like in the end, we determine who shows up on the score apps on the top 25 by it. It largely determines whether or not you make sports center. Are you a top 25 team? Like I do acknowledge those numbers next to your name have more meaning than I probably give to them. Yeah. 
But I think where I struggle with it is that as I've gotten older, I've been in the business longer, and I've actually figured out who ranks these people. And the 60 people, or I don't know if it's 60 in, in basketball, but nationwide, the number of people that rank college basketball teams, I think, I think everyone would be stunned to figure out who actually votes in this and the type of people that they are. And if you did figure them out, I don't think you would actually care. I think that's kind of actually what happens is you got guys like Jesse Newell that are ranking him. And this is what Jesse does, man. Like, he finds a way to, like, actually make himself part of the story. And that, that, is actually goes, that actually goes against what journalism is supposed to be. Like, you're supposed to tell the story, not make the story. But here we are. What's the difference between him and a guy who turns in a blank Hall of Fame ballot ballot in Major League Baseball? Or you know? O'Shaughnessy, who's... <laughs> yeah, Dan Shaughnessy sitting here not voting David Ortiz. It's like, you know, you're making yourself part of the story. If you really wanted to show that you have conviction in what you're doing, you would turn in a blank Hall of Fame ballot, but not send it to Ryan Thibodeau, who's going to put it on Twitter. Correct. Right. You would just turn yes. the Blake Hall of Fame ballot anonymously to the Hall right. of Fame. Okay? Right. But no, you turned it in, and then you sent it to Thibodeau so he could put it on Twitter that you did not vote for anybody to prove a point. And I think that's the same thing with Newell. You know, um, if I were to look at, like, all the voters, right? I was looking at all the voters. Let's just say I was a voter. You know, I do a radio show. You do a radio show too. It's like, I don't, I don't have like, I'm not watching 60 minutes or 40 minutes of every single top 25 team and neither are these voters. And that's part of the problem. And it's even, it's even, and it's easier now. Imagine the same process 30 years ago where you were getting one game a weekend. You know, no, I, how are you voting on these teams? You look at the box score. And you hit the nail on the head. Like, and also, a lot of it's just like perception, and a lot of it's recency bias. When did you lose? You know, how did you lose? I, I think that's that's it entirely. It's the concept that, first off, it's an impossible task. How do you rank? How do you pick yeah. the twenty-five best teams out of three hundred and thirty-six or three hundred and forty, whatever it is? Like, it's it's not a it's not a possible task to begin with. And I do understand, like, it is fodder. And for us in the content yeah. business, like, it gives us something to, to do and discuss. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I, one of my biggest pet peeves is when you do something seeking attention when, like, that is the exact opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. It is. You're not supposed to make yourself part of the story. You're supposed to adhere to the guidelines. Um, and, you know, what you're not supposed to do, like – and I know it is easy to do. You know, we, I, we, do, a, we do power rankings on our show uh, every Wednesday in football. Top five teams, right? And, you know, there are some times I'm like, you know what? Let me see what Football Outsiders has them ranked. You yes. Know, and, I'll, I'll, and I'll use it as a guideline. That doesn't right, mean you... that you – it doesn't mean that Jesse goes to the Ken Palm website and just copies down the 25 teams in order. No, and yes, I, I'm with you. Like, if I if you're doing rankings, we all have sources that we trust that try to give us some type of objective measurement of what this team is. But that's not like, you know, I'm not I'm not going and doing a power rating system. Like, I'm not trying to come up with lines. Like, 
at a certain point, like you, you reward the teams that have been winning. And I, I, I just, it's that's a, a long-standing complaint that I've had. Auburn's got a big basketball game. They're hosting yeah. Kentucky this weekend, and this feels like who's going to kind of take control of the SEC. And this is kind of an interesting matchup because you know Pearl's a pretty big, big game coach. Like I feel like that is one thing he's extremely good at. When his team has a big game, it feels like his team's always ready to play. When you look at both of these two teams, is it clear to you one's better than the other? Well, look, I, I had a much different feeling of Kentucky prior to Saturday of last week. Yeah. Um, which is a game I would like to forget. But, I mean, I, I did not expect them to score 100 points against the top 15 defense. Yeah. Uh, that tells me that their ceiling is pretty darn high. I would say, if right now, if you had to, I would say, you know what? I think Auburn's the better team. But this is what we know about Cal's teams historically. Cal's teams will struggle at times early on in the year, build themselves up, get better late, and then make a little bit of a run because they are so young. Now, every team is young nowadays in college basketball. Um, but I would say right now, today, I think Auburn's better. I think the ceiling for Kentucky is higher than Auburn's, though. How do you see it? home matters it's at auburn and uh, i feel like especially with football going kind of the way they did auburn's doing that thing that a lot of fan bases do when your football your football school and your football team is disappointing like you real, you go all in you don't dive into the pool you do a cannonball like you are you are fully invested i think the thing for me with auburn is I'm always just skeptical of the offense. I don't know why. Like, I get skeptical of the offense when they go up against elite athletes. But the weird reality of Kentucky is this isn't like a pure everyone. everyone's a one-and-done team. You know, guy for Kentucky. He's mixed in some transfers. He's got some juniors. He has, in my opinion, the best name in the entire college basketball. Ty Ty Washington is one of my ten favorite names I've ever had, ever heard in college basketball. But I feel like Cal knows how to frustrate that offense. At a certain point, man, like I've been kind of waiting for Auburn to lose for, I don't know, a month and a half now, and they just don't. So there's this element of me of like, all right, until they until shown otherwise, I'm just going to – I guess you just trust them at home. I think home I think home matters. You know, we're back to home mattering in, uh, in college athletics. You said that a couple of weeks back on this uh, podcast. Home matters again. So, yeah, I'll take the home team. All right, your Vols are hosting LSU. How, are we Can we? Are we still – am I the only person that still wonders, like, every time Will Wade's on the sideline, like, how is he still coaching? Like, am, am I the only one? Yeah, I, I'm waiting for the – I'm waiting for the Sean Miller, Bill Self, yeah. Will Wade shoe to drop here. You know, when are they going to be – when is he going to be banished to Patino land and coaching Marist? Or something. Well, they at least, we did at least get Sean gone. So, like, you know, yeah. we, but like, no, you're right. Self, self is somehow still like, like people still like, like he gets the weird respect. Like, it, yeah. I will say at, at least, at least with Will Wade, it feels like nobody respects him. So, like, at least no. like I feel like the world is centered on that. I, I feel LSU is the team that can literally beat anybody on any night and, and also lose. lose. <laughs> 
anybody on any night. It, they, you know, it, there's not a whole lot of difference with their basketball team and their Coach O football team this year. I, I, they can beat I anybody. Firmly, and they can lose I, anybody. Yeah, it feels, feels like that's going to be like Will Wade's lifestyle uh, in general. He is RJ Choppy. I'm Jeffrey Wright. I'll be with you tomorrow. You're listening to it on Saturday from noon until 4. It's BetQLU in the action. We'll be watching all the games. We'll probably get into some NFL playoff thoughts and more. Connor will join us from Vegas. You will want to tune in and not miss it. He's RJ Choppy. You can follow him on Twitter at RJ Choppy. I'm Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me at JWright929ESPN. I want to thank you for listening to and watching BetQLU. From tailgates to rushing the field, on Saturday, it's BetQLU in the action. From noon to 8 Eastern, available on BetQL and the Odyssey app.